I'm Rebecca Wenglinski, certified health coach, registered yoga teacher, and corporate professional. I'm passionate about helping driven professionals relieve stress and feel their best through functional and holistic techniques. I was sick for half my life, but after 20 years of personal research and a series of trial and errors, I found the tools to feel healthier. Now I'm able to bring these strategies and techniques to you so you can feel less stressed, have more free time, break through the noise of what's healthy and what's not, and feel your best. This is the Wellness Office Podcast. Hi there. Today I want to talk about your well-being, and more importantly, maintaining your well-being. So well-being is a word that has definitely been thrown around quite a bit recently. But what do you think of when you hear the word well-being? Maybe it's mental health, health balance, flourishing, sleep, exercising, personal space, boundaries, clarity, self-care. Well-being can mean something different to each person. It may be a feeling of comfort, purpose, good mental health, balance, or the ability to manage stress, or just being happy. Psychologist and founder of the Berkeley Wellbeing Institute, Dr. Chiki Davis, defines well-being as the experience of health, happiness, and prosperity. It includes having good mental health, high life satisfaction, a sense of meaning or purpose, and the ability to manage stress. More generally, well-being is just feeling well. Now, thinking back to a time when you were really stressed, how did you respond? Were you ready to argue and fight when you got really fired up? Did you want to just leave the situation entirely as quickly as possible? Or did you just kind of freeze there and get quiet and couldn't move? Now, this feeling goes back to when you had to be on constant guard for survival. For instance, when you were about to be attacked by a tiger in the caveman days. Unfortunately, our bodies haven't adapted as quickly as technology has. And when we get stressed over non-life-threatening matters, like those tigers chasing us, those same reactions happen in the body. And when this reaction happens, the body instantly starts to produce extra cortisol, that stress hormone. Now, cortisol isn't all bad. We need a certain amount of cortisol to maintain our hormonal balance. But when we have excessive cortisol, especially daily excessive cortisol, it can really begin to undermine your well-being. It can cause physical health issues with your gut, your heart, and your immunity. It can cause mental health issues with a lack of clarity, creativity, anxiety, and depression. I went over just what stress does in detail and how it affects your body in episode one. So if you're interested, be sure to go check that episode out and see exactly everything that it's doing to you. A few years ago, Dr. Sears Wellness Institute found that 75% of Americans experience moderate to high levels of stress. And there are many ways you can lower your stress levels and maintain your well-being. And that's what I want to go over today. So I'm going to give five tips to maintain your well-being. The first tip is sleep. Sleep helps your body repair itself. It helps fight off viruses and infections. 
it reduces stress and inflammation, and it even helps boost metabolism. Now, the goal is to aim for seven to eight hours of sleep a night. Yes, this may sound impossible with the amount of work on your plate, but getting enough sleep will help you think faster, more clearly, and tap into your creativity. Can you think of a time you stayed up way too late then struggled to do basic tasks the next day, like even make coffee? I know I've done that even recently, and just not getting enough sleep makes me feel like a zombie the next day. It's important though, that even if you absolutely can't fit in seven to eight hours of sleep, try to get as much quality sleep as possible. Now the quality sleep stages are the REM and deep sleep stages. REM is rapid eye movement. This is the one that you've probably heard of the most and it's when you're dreaming. The deep sleep stage is a little different though. This is when your breathing, heartbeat, body temperature, and brain waves reach their lowest levels. Your muscles are extremely relaxed and you're most difficult to rouse. This is also known as the healing stage when your hormones are released to do their jobs and to restore your energy. In order to get the restful healing sleep, you have to get the combination of those two stages. It's said you need about 60 to 110 minutes in the deep stage and 60 to 120 minutes in the REM stage. And what can help you get that quality sleep is having a nighttime routine. And this typically starts about one to two hours before going to bed. So some of those things that you can do for a nighttime routine to help you reach that quality sleep include dimming the lights, turning off the electronics, or at the very least, wearing blue light filtering glasses. I get the electronics thing is really hard because we are so connected to them these days. And because sometimes downtime is watching TV or scrolling through stuff on a phone, unfortunately. But it's really important that if you are doing that to wear blue light filtering glasses, because when you're not, that light is actually messing with your circadian rhythm. It's altering your body's natural time to wind down and rest. It's making your body think that it is still daytime and you need to be awake. So if you can put those electronics away, the body starts to kick in naturally telling you that it's time to get ready to sleep. Another point that we can do is to go to bed at the same time every day. And this is really hard if you're used to making plans on the weekends and sleeping in on Saturdays and Sundays and then staying up late. But it's easier to get into that quality sleep if your body knows each day when it's going to bed and when it's waking up. All right. On to well-being tip number two, which is exercising for 20 to 30 minutes a day. Now this not only boosts your metabolism and gets blood flowing, it also produces dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin. And these endorphins boost your mood. There isn't any one type of exercise that is better at boosting mood though. I often say the best exercise is the one you will do, whether that's running, biking, walking, yoga, or hit, do the one you enjoy. I'll go into more detail on the physical and mental well-being tips of exercise in another podcast, but just find one that you enjoy because that's the one you're going to do. Tip number three for you busy professionals 
is connecting with others. This has benefits that go well beyond your career growth. It often helps to know you're not alone. Being connected to others is important for your mental and physical well-being as well. Social connection can lower anxiety and depression, help regulate emotions, lead to higher self-esteem and empathy, and actually improve the immune system. We are social beings by nature, even if you're introverted. By neglecting the need to connect, you may be putting your well-being at risk. Some of the benefits that connecting with others has includes learning from past experiences because we can talk these over with another person. It can help stop repeating patterns that don't work. It can help you find your real wants and express them. It can help you step through inhibitions and fears and help others do the same. So reach out to a friend, colleague, or a family member that you trust when you're feeling overly pressured. And while virtual connections may not feel ideal at times, they are better than feeling completely isolated. So if you can't or don't feel comfortable meeting up with someone in person, schedule a weekly video call to feel connected. Moving on to the next well-being tip, take a break. You are not a robot and cannot function 24-7. Just like your phone needs to recharge, so do you. Here again, try to plan 20 to 30 minutes each day to do something you enjoy outside of work and family responsibilities. That could be anything at all. If you enjoy exercising, that gives you an additional boost of endorphins. The mind is more creative when it's not on. So while you may think you don't have 20 to 30 minutes to relax, you would be amazed at how much more productive and responsive you are after a break instead of just pushing through. And maybe even try waking up a little bit earlier to get that 20 to 30 minutes of just downtime. Now, if you don't have any hobbies or know what to do to relax, think back to what you did as a kid. How did you play? How did you rest? Maybe it was riding your bike or painting or crafting or playing with G.I. Joes or Barbies or reading. Think back to what brought you joy as a kid and find a way to incorporate that into your life now. These restful playtimes will help spark that creativity. Now, I loved to craft and do so many other things as a kid, and I found that I love macrame. There's hundreds of hobbies out there for you to try. Just start Googling something, and I'm sure you'll feel a spark and connection to something. And the last tip I'll focus on for maintaining your well-being is fueling your body with healthy foods. The cortisol tricks you when it spikes. It sends these cravings for sugar and salt and carbs like pasta and potatoes and alcohol. Now, those aren't bad to have when you eat them in moderation. But if you're stressed out and craving slash eating these things every day, then it's making your stress worse, not better. You may call them comfort foods because they taste and feel good in the moment as you give in to the demands of the cortisol but then they send you into a sluggish, depressive state, which may make you want to sit on the couch and binge reruns of The Office and Friends. I may be speaking from personal experience there. And what really matters here is that when you crave more sugar and carbs, you end up eating more sugar and carbs, and then craving more sugar and carbs, and it starts 
this repetitive cycle. Our bodies actually don't naturally crave sugar. So when the cortisol spikes, that's when those cravings kick in. And sugar becomes incredibly addictive in the sense that it actually the compounds that make it up tell your body to just eat more and more and more of it. It's really hard to break that cycle once we've started down that path. But when you fuel your body with mood-boosting foods, they can actually slow the production of the cortisol stress hormone. The key to these foods is that they are high in zinc, magnesium, vitamin B, omega-3 fatty acids, and probiotics. A few of these include dark leafy greens, sorry iceberg lettuce, it's not included in here, asparagus, wild-caught salmon, turkey, avocados, blueberries, beans and peas, and herbal teas. For more foods that boost your mood and drop the cortisol levels, check out my blog on foods that alleviate stress. There's a link to it in the show notes. So there are your five tips for maintaining your well-being. To recap quickly, they were be sure to get seven to eight hours of sleep and aim for that restful deep sleep by starting a nighttime routine. Move your body for 20 to 30 minutes a day to increase those mood-boosting endorphins. Connect with others to break a feeling of loneliness and pressure. Take a break for 20 to 30 minutes to allow the mind to rest and opt for healthier, mood-boosting foods over the stress-craving ones. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll be back with more holistic ways you can reach your full potential next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Wellness Office Podcast. If you want more, be sure to head over to twistedlotuswellness.com for show notes and how to connect with me one-on-one. And if you're looking to take action today on finding more balance, be sure to sign up for the free cheat sheet on eight ways to stay balanced. The link is twistedlotuswellness.com forward slash eight dash ways dash two dash stay dash balanced. The link is in the show notes too and on the website.